0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Someone will remember us, I say, even in another time. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From Empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Hey, hey, it's TK, your tour guide to world history, women's history, and weird history. And you have just clicked on For the Love of History, episode 35. Welcome. Are you happy to be here? Because I'm happy you're here, and I'm excited to be talking about the Greek poetess Sappho today. I've got to confess, I am not a poetry person. One of my beautiful, lovely, best friends is a poetry master, a goddess, if you will. So in this episode, I am going to try to make her proud. She's a a literature master and a great writer, and she's actually the one who wrote my intro that you just listened to. Oh, and by the way, uh, there is a special announcement at the end of today's episode, so stick around to the end, okay? But enough of that, I know you want to get straight into the episode, so grab the nearest blanket, wrap it around yourself like a toga, go get some snacks to eat while laying down like the god or goddess or non-binary god you are, and let's get to it. We know nothing. We know almost nothing about Sappho. Well then, TK, what are we doing here? Great question. Right off the bat. Very proud of you. Stay curious. Sappho's poetry has made an astonishing impact on the world of literature. How we see people from ancient Greece, how we see sexuality, and how poetry is done in the first place. And that's what we're going to talk about today, friend. I know you might be like, ah, literature, this is not what I signed up for. I came here for Exclusively History, but we can do both. We can do both at the same time. Trust me on this. You're going to like this episode. So let's get to it. Let's talk about what we do know about Sappho. She was born around 630 BCE and died sometime around 570 BCE, and for those of you who are a little bit confused as to why we went backward in time, how could she be born in 630 and then die in 570? What? Well, when it comes to BCE, the larger numbers are farther away from the time that we are in now, and the smaller numbers are closer to us. This is not a... Benjamin Button backwards aging situation, so don't worry. We also know that Sophos was born on the island of Lesbos to a pretty well-off family. The names of her family members are lost, however. There's like seven possible names for her dad and a handful for her mom. We do know she had some brothers because she wrote about them in her poems. Lots of other things are speculated, like was she married, did she have kids, but... We cannot be sure if she was married. We cannot be sure if she had children. We just don't know. So that's what we're working with. But you know what? That's okay. I like a little mystery in my history, and I think it's okay in this situation because Sopho left something greater than the bullet point facts about her life. She left her feelings and her experiences in the form of poetry. But isn't it- all poetry about feelings nowadays? Yes. My junior high school notebooks are a great example of deeply emotional poetry. (laughs) And we have Sappho to thank for that. For us to be able to write in that way. Because before 650 BCE, there was only one kind of poetry called epic poetry. You've got the epic of Gilgamesh, you've got Homer's epic, the Odyssey, and they were all big long hero's journey type narrative poems and they were written in an observational way like not from the point of view of the writer or the person in the poem it's more like a third person perspective situation someone is watching the hero do their thing and telling you about it and rarely do you get to know the hero's actual feelings That is, until our girl Sappho comes and just busts the game wide open with her creation of lyric poetry. Lyric poetry is poetry performed with a lyre. It's like a teeny tiny cute little harp. It's so adorable. I'll leave a picture for you on Instagram. It's great. The other defining quality of lyric poetry is that poets can talk about whatever they want. It's like a my poem, my rules kind of deal. And what is truly revolutionary about lyric poetry is that it uses the I perspective for first person. Often in Greek poetry, I was used, but who I was was not clear and could mean anyone. But not in Sappho's poetry, not in lyric poetry. The I was Sappho herself. And let me give you a little taste of Sappho's poetry. You came... I yearned for you, and you cooled my senses that burned with desire. Mmm, spicy. I told you it was good. Just wait, it gets even better. This type of poetry blew people's socks off, because lyric poetry allowed for more personal exploration and freedom. After Sappho bust onto the scene other kinds of lyric poetry popped up. For example, the poet Tyrtaeus, a poet from Sparta, who basically wrote hype-up poetry for war, or the poet Solon from Athens, who wrote poetry to support his political agenda, or Pindare from Thebes, who wrote victory poems about Olympic athletes. But they all paled in comparison with the original creator of lyric poetry. Sappho. Sappho became so famous that she was nicknamed the Poetess, and this was a big deal because this basically put her on the same level as Homer, who was known as the poet, like the poet. He was the dude. And in fact, her contemporaries often called her the female Homer. People were all about Sappho. Even literature haters such as Plato loved her. Plato apparently hated literature and especially poetry, going so far as saying that most poetry had no place in the ideal state, in the ideal society. But despite this, he said, quote, Some say the muses are nine. How careless. Look, there's a Sappho II from Lesbos, the 10th. Which is a big freaking deal. Like the muses are really important in Greek religion and culture, and I'll just give you one more little anecdote about how much she was loved and respected. So there was an Athenian legislator named Solon, a contemporary of Sappho's and one of the seven sages of Greece. This is a famous story related by Stobius. Stobius, I'm sorry, <laughs> a Greek author, and it goes like this. Solon of Athens, after hearing his nephew singing a song of Sappho's over the wine, liked the song so much that he told the boy to teach it to him. When someone asked him why he was so eager, he replied, So that I may learn it and then die. So what's the big deal? People say they could die over things all the time. I could die over a seven-layer chocolate cake or like a really good nap. But for those of us including myself, who are not well-versed in Greek philosophy, this is a big deal because Solon was considered one of the sages of Greece, meaning he was like a super wise dude. And he was known for his philosophy of moderation in everything. And for him to react so emotionally is significant in that even one so wise and moderate could be so deeply moved that he would desire nothing more than learning the song. But it was not all rainbows and sunshine for Sappho. She did have her actual haters too. In addition to being a poet, Sappho was also quite political. Mytilene, the city she was from, was always boiling over with political and social dramas and a bunch of rivalries and shifting alliances among aristocracy Oh my goodness. aristocratic clans. Sappho belonged to one of these more affluent families, so obviously she got cut up a time or two, and at some point Sappho and her family fled or were exiled to southern Italy. It's not quite clear, but the Victorian critic John Addington Symonds saw the unstable political climate of Sappho's homeland as entwined with the heady, erotic climate of her poems. But leave that passion in your pants for now, friend. We will circle back to that erotic climate (laughs) a little bit later. Sappho's critics didn't stop at her politics. Her morality, her sexuality, her literary merit, and even her very existence— was under harsh scrutiny for thousands of years, from the Catholic Church to modern scholars trying to diminish her contributions to poetry. And boy, did she have trolls galore. People wrote all sorts of things about her. Whole plays were written trying to discredit her or prove that she wasn't real. One legend tries to depict her as a love-struck damsel that kills herself at a young age by jumping off a cliff due to unrequited love, but this has been proven untrue time and time again. She was likely past middle age when she died, since in at least one of her poems she complains about her graying hair and cracky knees. One of my favorite troll tales about her comes from the Suda, a 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia of ancient culture, so it was written long after Sappho was dead, which is important, but it is the basis of much of our information on her. Now, the Suda wasn't trying to troll her. Like I said, it was written way long after she had died. They just fell for some very sexist and shitty jokes. So in the Suda, Sappho's alleged husband is called Kirchilas from the island of Andros. And Kyrkiles looks a lot like Kyrkos, which is the Greek slang for penis. And Andros is very close to the word for man. And it's not an actual island, uh. So it turns out they had been unwittingly using a tired old joke about the morally corrupt Sappho, who was married to an actual penis from the island of man. Hello, my name is Talia Smith, the host of Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast. On our show, we talk to historians, artists, podcasters, and creators from all around the world about the stories that impact our lives. Join us for Once Upon a Time, a storytelling podcast, season three, streaming on all platforms April 2nd. You can find us at a storytelling podcast on Instagram for more information. Women in history, more often than not, have their morals scrutinized by historians. <coughs> male, male historians. <coughs> Who was she sleeping with? How many people was she sleeping with? What was her body count? All that dumb shit. But Sappho's morality check faced something different. It is believed that Sappho was a lesbian. Though it is impossible to know for sure, there is some pretty strong evidence, such as this poem. He seems to me an equal of the gods. Whoever gets to sit across from you and listen to the sound of your sweet speech so close to him, to your beguiling laughter. Oh, it makes my panicked heart go fluttering in my chest. For the moment I catch sight of you, there is no speech left in me but tongue, gags, all at once, a faint fever courses down beneath the skin, eyes no longer capable of sight, a thrumming in the ears, and sweat drips down my body, and the shakes lay siege to me all over, and I'm greener than grass, I'm just a little short of dying. I seem to me, but all must be endured, since even a pauper, and it trails off from there. And for a long time, scholars were convinced that it was from the perspective of a man, that the I in this poem was a man. Because of of course it has to be, because a woman is conjuring up these feelings, so the person who is looking at this woman has to be a man, right? Wrong. The word for I, which Sappho uses, was only used for women. So it was her. It was definitely her. Talking about almost fainting because she loved this girl so much, like full-on panic from love. And yeah, you could just blow it off as, oh, it's just one poem, but it's not. It's not an isolated poem. She wrote a whole ode to Aphrodite, where she calls upon the goddess to be her comrade-in-arms in in an erotic escapade. The woman was in love with Aphrodite. And you know what is my favorite little side fact about this whole poem? Is that it is actually the only poem that survives in its entirety. Sappho is believed to have written about 10,000 lines of poetry in her life, but only about 650 lines remain. And the ode to Aphrodite is still here, Because the author of a 1st century B.C. treatise called On the Arrangement of Words was said to have admired her handling of vowels. I'm just picturing him now. Oh, Sappho, you handle those vowels so well. It has nothing to do with how erotic this poem is. I am a man of vowels, not of flesh. But I call BS. I call bull Shit, you were turned on by her poem, you got a little horny, and you wanted to save it, and that's okay. Own it, dead guy from the first century BC. Own it. It's a good poem. For years, scholars refused to even consider her being anything but straight. Academics made up all types of shit, like she was a schoolmistress, or she was a leader of a cult, or that she trained women on how to be good wives. Somebody even made up a story that she was teaching women how to apply makeup. Which makes no damn sense. And the academics persisted with this innocent Sappho theory well into the early 20th century. There are still some scholars that refuse to believe that she was a lesbian, but they're in the minority at this point, and it's pretty widely accepted. But why is her sexuality even a big deal? Why does it matter? She lived a thousand years ago. Who cares if she had sex with men or women or whatever, or didn't have sex? But representation in media and history is so important. Representation of all people Indigenous peoples, Black people, Asian people, BIPOC people, LGBTQIA people, disabled people, autistic people, all people, every kind of people. Representation of all people is important. And being a teacher of little children, I come at this from the perspective of a teacher of little children. And when kids don't see themselves reflected back in their history, it limits what they think they can do. If you don't see a person like you achieving things or being represented in certain spheres, it makes you believe that doing that thing or accomplishing that thing Or becoming that thing is impossible. Having Sappho as an example is incredibly important. And this doesn't only go for children, it's also important for adults to see themselves represented in media and history as well. But I am not a member of that community myself. And I can only say so much. So I'm going to leave you some resources in the show notes so that you can get this information from the perspective of actual members of the LGBTQIA community. Sappho was such an incredible woman. She represents lesbians in literature. She sheds light on untold female LGBTQ history. She brought the world a new form of poetry. She inspired the Sophic meter. She created the Mixolydian mode, a kind of musical scale which is still used in jazz and blues music today. She invented a new type of lyre instrument, and she opened the door for poetic expression of self and of love. So we have come to our final thought today, my dear sweet friend, and it is a lovely final thought Sappho has been the inspiration for many LGBTQIA+ organizations over the years, and today I'm going to tell you about one such organization. It's called Sappho for Equality, and for this next part I'm just going to read straight off their website because they said it best. Sappho for Equality, established in October 2003, is the only registered organization in eastern India that works for the rights and social justice of sexually marginalized women and trans men, female to male trans persons. It uniquely works to create bridges between the so-called normative and non-normative populations in our society and positions gender, sexuality within existing development discourses. Their mission is to address the issues of sexually marginalized women and female-to-male trans persons in society and to broaden the struggle for social equality and the rights within the nation-state and beyond. They're an incredible organization that provides safe spaces for lesbians, bisexual women, and female-to-male trans persons. They offer peer counseling, They run a helpline, they provide mental health counseling services to LGBT individuals and families, they facilitate crisis intervention, and they organize self-esteem empowerment workshops for community members. They are an incredible organization, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what they do. And this is not the only organization inspired by SOFO, so I will leave those links in the show notes for you so you can check out this organization and others. And for our final, final thing, I will leave you with a poem from Sappho. Some men say cavalry, Some men say infantry. Some men say the Navy's the loveliest thing on this black earth. But I say, it's whatever you love. That's all I have for you today, my beautiful friend. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, take out your phone, send this episode to a friend, message a co-worker about it. Next time there's an awkward silence over a Zoom meeting, recommend For the Love of History. <laughs> if you'd like to support For the Love of History, you can sign up to be a patron on Patreon for just $2 a month. Link to that in the link tree in my Instagram and Twitter bio. What? I'm on Twitter now. Ooh, follow me there at For the Love of HI3. All the other uh, handles were taken. That's what we were left with. So now for the announcement for the love of history is fast approaching its one year anniversary on april 1st i can't believe i've almost been doing this for a year and in honor of that i'll be revealing a new and improved logo and stickers i'll also be doing a q and a free for all any questions are fine I'll be doing a Q&A session so you guys can submit your questions on Instagram and Twitter I haven't decided if I'll do um a live stream of the Q&A or make an actual podcast episode of it um so I'll probably have a poll for that on Instagram and Twitter all right that's all that's it I that's all I have for you um Have a great rest of your day, friend. Drink water. Take good care of yourself. I am just sending you a big old virtual hug. Thanks for being here. And I will see you on April 2nd when we talk about Japanese samurai schools. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? okay. (laughs)